for one of my birthdays, my son Paul gave me a gift certificate. One of those. It was pretty substantial. He was a teenager, so it was like 100 or $150. It was quite a bit. And it was one of those days you can get anything you want at that store. Uh, the store, the Bullseye Indoor Shooting Range and Gun Shop. <laughs> yeah, just whatever your father dreams of getting. <laughs> but Paul was all excited. Come on, Dad, we can go pick out your gun today. They even let you use the pistol range for free when you buy a new gun. Paul loves to shoot. and In fact, I had bought a little Russian Makarov 9mm. And I fixed it up with a new grip and some other fun stuff. And it was cheap to buy and to shoot. And so we'd go out plinking and shooting holes in paper without spending a lot of money. But Paul thought I should get something better. A match grade bullnose 22. I had no idea what that was. <laughs> so we get in the car and drive there. Oh, there it is. Boy, it was a pretty little thing. Then I looked at the price. <laughs> wow, holy smokes, it's twice the amount of the gift certificate. More than twice the amount of the gift certificate. You know, what a deal. I get to spend tons of money so we can go shooting. <laughs> uh, and okay, it was actually fun to shoot, and it, it was amazingly accurate for a 22, especially. And I had that thing for years. couple of life points here. Let's think about the power of guns and about true giving. We'll take the latter first. You see, Paul gave me this gift, yes, so that I could enjoy it, but let's be real here, so that he could really enjoy it. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, I, I'll be fair to Paul. He was absolutely positive. That was the one thing in the world that I really would want more than anything else in the world. I'd want that gun. I'd want to go. I mean, he really believed it. So, And certainly, I'd have never bought that little Ruger if he hadn't given me that gift certificate. But then, there's... The other illustration that I would like to talk about that I, I never would have had without Paul's gift. Guns have power. Most kids love to go shooting, and I've taken quite a few of them over the years. For the first-timers, we need to make something really clear. So I stand them up by the table from where one executes all those little pieces of paper, and I show them how to load the clip and how to put the clip in the gun and how the trigger works and how the safety works and all those things. But I do all this for them. And then, with exaggerated care, I, using both hands, I serve the gun to them. And as they reach for it, I say, okay, it's ready to kill someone. <laughs> Every single one of them has done the same. They stop, hands in midair, and say, what? <laughs> it's great. So I go through this whole speech. Never, ever point a gun at anything you don't want to shoot. I don't care if it's not loaded. Always treat it like it is. And only, it really only takes one mistake. And somebody could die. So you never aim a gun at anything you don't want to hit. I think we ought to do the same thing the first time we give the kids the key for the car and let them go off by themselves. Uh, I looked it up. 500 people died from accidental gun shooting last year. 30,000 died in vehicle accidents. So this is a pet peeve of mine, but you know. Okay, so guns have power, and giving somebody a gift shouldn't be really for you. <laughs> what does all that have to do with the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? This is a test. <laughs> and rare case, Jesus directly answers the question. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus threw that extra bonus point answer in there. But the main point is that the whole of the Old Testament law, which they so love, could be boiled down to these two statements. Or to say it maybe a better way, every other part of the law was built to help you understand and implement these two laws. And they agreed with him. You passed, Jesus. <laughs> it's like that. You know, like they knew enough to test Jesus. Still, it is true that the centrality of active brotherly love was well recognized by every Jewish person. But what is that? What does it really mean? <laughs> How important did this, is this living of love? Jesus had earlier said in what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. A little extra for you. Jewish people thought they were automatically sons of their Father in heaven because they were Jewish. And he says, no. This is what you got to do if you want to be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus tells them, and I think us, that if we, if they want to be sons of their Father in heaven, they got to go way beyond easy love. You love your brother? Big deal. The tax collectors do that. I just love that we still kind of feel the same way about tax collectors. You love your brother? You know, ooh, I'm so impressed. Yeah, not. You want to impress Jesus? You've got to go beyond loving those who will love you back. In fact, you've got to go all the way to this. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> In case you didn't recognize it, this is impossible. But it is some pretty incredible love. And if Jesus says to do it, you got to at least give it a try. So where do we aim this love gun? And by the way, it's not some fat kid in a diaper with a bow and arrow that shoots you and somehow you're in love whether you want to be or not. You've probably heard people I have many times. You just can't help who you fall in love with. I hate that. I mean, I hate it. That's a lie from the pit of hell and it ruins millions of people's lives. You don't believe that love is like a train wreck over which you have no control. Whether it's romantic love or brotherly love. Love isn't something that happens to you. You make love happen. I know, i got to quit this preaching in the middle of preaching. <clears throat> so love is something we do. Where do we point this love we do? At what do we aim it? How does one aim it? Well, let's, how about if we take a look at the Apostle Paul's famous statement, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, clear back, I had to look it up. Clear back in 2008, we considered this passage in detail in a sermon titled, Love Submitted. You can look it up online, should you so desire. I, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> anyway, we talked a lot in that about mirror structures and chiasms, which are literary devices used by many, including Paul here, to emphasize certain things. For our purposes now, 
let's just look at what the three-line summary of this whole statement might be. Love is patient and kind. It does not insist on its own way. Love never ends. At the very center of what love is not is the truth love does not insist on its own way. The point here is the aim of love. Do we insist on our own way? Look out for number one. If you don't take care of you, who will? And one of my favorites, go for the gusto. (laughs) Statements like these are lies. The real way to live and to live love is to give ourselves away. To ignore our rights. Maybe even the right they ought to be doing and seek the good of others. This is where and how we point love. This is the aim of love, to aim to please God and not ourselves. You do believe he'll take better care of you than you can, right? John has the most detailed record of Jesus last night with his disciples. In it, Jesus made this statement, uh, which we've talked about just a little lately. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We talk about how this love is critical to our witness. We've talked about what's new here. Everyone agreed that love was important. Loving as Jesus loved is the key. So we'd better go a little more into how it is that Jesus loves us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this is Jesus' promise of love to us. Let's not forget that he was talking directly to the apostles, but I think we're pretty safe here to look at this as if he is talking to us. So we could say that he has invited us to live in his love. Perhaps we should say, feel at home in his love. Does that help? How do we get to the place where we do feel at home in his love? If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You want to abide in his love? Do what he says. <laughs> Not as if he doesn't know what he's talking about. You can probably trust that he has a better idea how we can get to the place of abiding in his love. In fact, he even says he does. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full When you abide in his love, you will have joy. Joy that fills your being. If you've read the book of Acts, you can remember the first time that the apostles were arrested and beaten for speaking about Jesus. They get everybody together, the whole church, and they have a celebration. Why? Because they were so lucky they got to get beaten for Christ. I mean, what a deal. (laughs) Now, that's some joy that no circumstances can squelch. We might could say that this is the great benefit of love. Joy. But there's even more. He's not speaking of joy just in this short life. This joy gets keeps getting better and better forever. So greatly does Jesus want them to have this great joy that he goes back and repeats what he said, but with a very important addition. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Same thing. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life 
for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If we are his friends, he will lay down his life for us. And for us, actually, he already has. If we are his friends, we are supposed to love as Jesus did. Jesus loves us as the Father loved him, and we're supposed to love each other the same way. So, how did the Father love his Son? He sent him to lay down his life for us. (laughs) And incredibly, that's a good thing. (laughs) So what are we supposed to do? The writer to the Hebrews said that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Father sent Jesus to love us like that. And now he sends us to lay down our lives for others. Not to seek our own, but to lay down our lives, which will bring us a joy so overwhelming we will despise the shame and the pain when we arrive in the new creation. And if the apostles are any example even before that, are we willing to be sent this much? Are we willing to give up our own life as Jesus did his? This talk that Jesus is having with his disciples, John didn't just record, he wrote about it in his first letter, which is sometimes called an epistle. So let's go through some passages from 1 John where he says these things in another way. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Just saying, I'm in the light, I'm spiritual, doesn't actually mean you're there. Do you love your brother? Not in feeling, but doing? Then you won't cause him to stumble and there would be no cause for you to stumble. Want to know if someone's a Christian? Can they love as Jesus loves? Not seeking their own. Aiming their love well. John comes back to this again in the middle of his letter. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No, hate your brother? Might as well consider yourself a murderer. And that's what people who don't give their lives away gravitate towards. And eventually they grow to hate those who have the joy they want. They want the joy, but not enough to pay for it with their lives. We know we're okay because we love. But the world hates us for it. Jealousy is an ugly thing. We don't want to be like that, so we've got to think this out. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Here again is that ultimate measurement, and again we are accosted with the demand. How far are we willing to go? Could we go as far as being practical? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Yeah, well, it's in theory anymore. 
pretty demanding stuff, this love. John's really big in defining how one knows if they are truly a Christian and whether or not others are. He says, check out your generosity, fellows. If you ain't got it, there could be some trouble here. Always give something is how we say it here. Uh, through the church, directly, whatever. Pretty demanding stuff, this love. And John comes back to it yet again, just a little further on. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love only exists because God exists. He is the essence of love. This is the kind of action-packed love we are speaking about. Giving up yourself to care for your wife, your husband, your kids, your neighbor, your enemy. Mm. (laughs) John is very explicit here. Love is the ultimate measurement. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Want to see a clear demonstration of what real love is? Look to Jesus. And note, even God does not love for himself, but others. We could not live without the Son dying, and the Father showed us love by sending the Son to die. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus made the payment for our sins so that we could live in joy forever. But John starts by pointing out that love is always initiated by God, which isn't terribly surprising since he is love. (laughs) But the point is, we are incapable of love on our own. Okay, we need a little break. There's this man who's dying. They've decided to let him live his last in his own house. So they bring him home and carry him upstairs and gently lay him down. He doesn't know how long, but how long it's been, but sometime later he wakes up and he smells his favorite dessert. Oh, how wonderful. My wife has made my most treasured delicacies just before I die. He tries to call out, but he's too weak. So he drags himself out of his bed and painfully makes his way down to the kitchen. He crawls up in the chair, sees a vision of culinary beauty. Closes his eyes and through his nostrils draws in a slow breath. Ah, the glorious fragrance. He reaches out and his wife slaps his hand and says, Hey, don't touch those. They're for the funeral. (laughs) (laughs) It is awful, but. And there are, you know, there are people do really love, you know, okay, they really do show love, but. But there are people in this world who clearly don't belong to God. (laughs) And yet they show love for others in their life. So how can this be? Remember, every human being is made in God's image. And and true, we are all fallen sinful creatures. So that image is terribly marred. But still, some of that image does come through at times. Some of that is love. But the sad, sad painful truth is that some of them will reject God forever. And they will lose this part of his image. They will live eternally without love because they will not live with God. 
Without God, the essence of love. There is no love. But to me, this is the horror of eternity without God. And it hurts my heart. But just imagine what it does to the heart of God. But we are loved. And, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. <clears throat> we ought to. <laughs> John sums up this section just a little later in his letter. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Can it get any clearer? Well, apparently so, because he comes back to it again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Whoever has been born of him, that is, other Christians. So how we do it? Everybody okay? I hope you're not maybe feeling a little nervous about your condition. <laughs> if you are, maybe just don't worry about it so much. If we are born again, we will love other Christians, period. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. It's not that hard, he says, to live as a Christian when you have a real relationship with Jesus. Because it's not you. It's Him. And he also says we show our love for God's children by showing our love for God, by keeping his commandments. Let's say like that commandment to love as Jesus loved us. Well, maybe we need more on how we do this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. We can keep his commandments, have victory over the world, because we are born again. We do believe we cannot have victory unless we love as Jesus loved, which we can only do if we have a relationship with, that is, faith in Jesus Christ. Then we can overcome the hatred of this world. Hate, it's sad to say, hate is natural to all humans. In our fallen state, love is not. We prefer to seek our own. But we can overcome that tendency, not because we are great, but because God is. And he lives in us. Only faith in Jesus can give victory that overcomes the hate of this world. Do we want that victory? It will cost. This victory comes only through proper loving, sacrificing ourselves. So remember, if it's centered on your needs, it's not love. To reach this purity of love, we need first to keep his commandments. And I fear that we are not any closer yet to understanding how. How do we keep his commandments? How do we develop love that is pure? Let's look at another note of the Apostle Paul's. Love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. The washing of water with the word. How do we practice pure love? We are cleansed, made pure, when we read and study God's word. 
You can't get clean without it. Anybody take a shower today? Yeah, you, the rest of us thank you all for that. <laughs> but it does bring up a question. How often do you bathe? I mean, often enough that you don't stink to everybody else, I hope. But of course, that's not where I'm going. Here's, here's the actual question. Should you not cleanse your spirit even more than you clean your body? Do you clean your spirit, read the Word of God, as often as you carry out your physical hygiene? i got to drive you crazy for the next few days. Every time you wash your hands, think of washing your spirit. That'll drive you crazy for a while. I mean, you can't. You wash your hands. Oh yeah, I wash my spirit. That's my gift to you to drive you crazy for a few days. <laughs> but it's a beautiful word picture. We need to wash ourselves with the word. And one more thing, we need to pray. Let's go back to John's letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Good thing. We can know. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. When we get very close to God... The Apostle Paul called it being filled with the Spirit. We know for what to ask Him. And He will give it to us. I mean, that is so cool. We just kind of do something with this. Uh, so, yeah, I have something for you to do. <laughs> I want you to ask God for something. Something you know He wants you to have. Here's my specific challenge to all of us. For one month, I'd like you to do these two things every day. Every day for the next month. Read one chapter of Scripture every day. Pray for your brothers and sisters in this church every day. Read the Scripture every day. Pray for us every day. Those two things for one month. For the Scripture part. If you don't have a pattern, a habit uh, in reading the Bible, let me see you start with a psalm. Every day. Read a psalm. Every day. Whatever you do in this, grab one of our Bible reading checklists if you don't already have one. And every day you go by, you, there's a little box for every chapter. Just check one off every day. That's it. Just one a day. And you'll be good. If you do three a day, by the way, you'll finish the Bible in a year. It's amazing. A small amount of reading. Uh, anyway. After reading, pray for specific people. Not just, oh Lord, please help the people in the world and the church and all that. Thank you very much. No, specific people by name. Say their name. The, the ones God lays on your hearts, of course, and you have your own family. You have the people that are close to you and, and God works out that way. And say their names out loud. It's incredible. It's amazing. You know, don't do it in the waiting room at the doctor's office. <laughs> people, people might kind of, might not be appropriate there, you know, shouting out people's names. Somebody's gonna, you know, that might not be so great. Uh, but it's amazing what saying people's names out loud does in a prayer. Uh, you can try it while you're driving. You know, nowadays you don't even have to worry about people thinking you're talking to yourself because they all think you have a hands-free thing for your cell phone, so it doesn't matter. You can just talk all you want when you're driving down the road. I used to get lots of strange looks. Nobody even blinks now. It's great. <laughs> and by the way, don't forget what Jesus said. Pray for your enemies. Ouch. Pray for your enemies. And trust me, that's hard to do 
for them. I once asked someone to pray for whoever was the current president back then. And the prayer was, Lord, would you help that stupid idiot to understand? Okay, that's not praying for the other person. I'm just sorry. That's not. Pray for that other person. But God helps us to do that. So, Okay, we've had a good look at the love gun. We know how to load it. And we know how to aim it. Now all we got to do is pull the trigger. Warning! <laughs> don't aim a gun at anything you don't want to shoot. Don't pray for anyone you don't want to love. Prayer is much more powerful than any weapon. Way more powerful than any weapon. Loving, giving yourself away for others has power. So make sure you aim your love where God wants you to aim and maybe, you know, you know, people say, well, yeah, I mean, well, then once they love me, <laughs> you know, they gotta come around. Once they're around, then I, yeah, no, who's gonna love first? <laughs> God loved us before we loved Him. In fact, the Bible says, in reality, if we'll admit it, we hated Him. That's the truth. Can we not have true love for each other? Even for those who hate us. Uh, even if we have to go first. So ready? Aim. Love. And you'll change the world. Let's pray.